Welcome or welcome back to the company of the cat. Hello. Today's upload is a deep dive into Jon Snow's character, breaking down one of its most important aspects, his status as a bastard. This analysis is all about why Jon's identity as a bastard isn't just a footnote in the grand narrative. It's a crucial part of his personal journey. Despite the buzz around his real parents and potential Targaryen lineage, I want to focus on why Snow defines Jon. When I announced this video, many of you shared your takes, theories, and opinions. From what I've seen, this video might not be what you expect. It's not about theories, his parents, or political turmoil. It's about John's inner struggles, demons, and the essential moral lessons woven into his narrative, often glossed over or completely dismissed. I will comment on the theories surrounding his parents, because I cannot not do it, but it is not the main focus of this video. Before everything, don't forget, if you enjoy my videos, to like and subscribe. Jon Snow is one of the main characters and a major POV in the A Song of Ice and Fire novels. He's introduced to us in the first chapter of A Game of Thrones as the bastard son of Lord Eddard Stark and an unknown mother. Jon is presented as having everything except the Stark name. He has the temperament, looks, and Stark way of thinking, but without being one on the papers. To properly analyze Jon, it's crucial to understand how bastards are perceived in this universe. Children born out of wedlock not only hold lower status and are considered a lower class, they also bear a significant stigma. They are often deemed born from lust, lies and weakness, and as a result are perceived as wanton and treacherous by nature. Even after being legitimized, bastards usually struggle to set the stigma of their illegitimate birth. Even myths about very controversial figures often include rumors about them being bastards. Landa Clever, the founder of House Lannister, known for being a trickster and pretty much stealing Casterly Rock with trickery, was rumored to be a bastard son of either Floris the Fox or Owen Goldtree. In the myth of the Night's King, there is also a small hint of bastard status, if you ask me. The 13th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch fell in love with a woman associated with the others, and who used strange sorcery, he bound the Night's Watch brothers to his will and ruled for 13 years with the corpse queen by his side. During the dark years of his reign, horrific atrocities were committed thus after his fall people removed his name from the records. The Legend of the Night King is frequently told, and in it, the Night King is rumored to be a Bolton, a Woodfoot, an Amber, a Flint, an Oray, or a Stark, and it would be ambiguous, indeed, if the person was a Snow. It could be a Ritz, but the big ambiguity of his house and the fact that Ygritte seemed to consider Jon's name evil might be a hint and not just random talk. You are my captive, Ygritte. I gave you my name. I'm Jon Snow, she flints. An evil name? A bastard name, he said. My father was Lord Eddard Stark of Winterfell. The girl watched him warily, but Stone Snake gave a more than chuckle. Another very important thing worth noting is that when a bastard child does not know the identity of one of their parents, that parent is 99.9% .9 the father. We know that at any point the biological father of the kid may acknowledge them and bring them formally into his house. Additionally, monarchs can legitimize children, but more often than not, when this happens, it concerns male bastards. The situation of John is reversed and it matters. It matters because it points out that many times these kids do not care about the name and where they belong according to laws that consider whoever has a cock better. It matters because the important person in the story is the woman, his mother. And no, it's not just that he believes he knows his father. Many other factors in the story point out over and over again that the important person is his mother. The importance of her will come up again but let's see how his status not only affects John's character, but defines him. John resents his bastard status deeply. He yearns to be seen as honorable and strives to prove he can be as good and true as Rob. 
The resentment is directed towards himself and his status. He appears to have internalized all the negative stereotypes associated with bastards and strives to be the opposite of what a bastard is supposed to be. The word itself evokes rage in him and he desperately avoids being perceived as a bastard. Interestingly, in his POV chapters, we observe that he doesn't harbor the same amount of resentment toward Ned as he does towards himself and the stigma of bastardy. John is the most classic fantasy hero in the series. He's essentially constructed as the perfect fantasy hero, handsome, moral, and brave. Even Martin himself described him as the brooding, Byronic romantic hero whom all the girls love. Additionally, John is the character with the least morally great decisions to make. While his storyline is fraught with extreme difficulties and his decisions bring about more and more hardships, morally, these choices are relatively straightforward. Unlike characters such as Tyrion, Danny, and Arya, John's enemies are not humans. They are a magical race that represents death itself. Although there are characters in the Night's Watch who dislike him and even kill him in the last book, so far in the story, these people are not considered the real enemy by him. John is the perfect hero. He is crafted as a perfect hero with a perfect storyline for a male lead in a fantasy series to become a hero. With the only quality that keeps him from being considered a hero by the rest of the people in the story being the fact that he is a bastard. What makes John different and more interesting than other fantasy heroes is his status as an illegitimate child. The fact that John is not a Stark legally is what has shaped him as a character, what makes his character different, and of course, John's inner demons and struggles are about this exact fact. Many people forget it or disregard it when analyzing certain characters in these novels, but every one of them has many personal struggles additionally to those that revolve around the storyline and rely on external factors. And these struggles are what make these characters feel real. What would other people think if they learned the truth about John's parents does not matter, because it's not the point of the story. John's parents matter to him and the truth will affect him. I would need to steal her if I wanted her love, but she might give me children. I might someday hold a son of my own blood in my arms. A son was something Jon Snow had never dared dream of. Since he decided to live his life on the wall, I could name him Rob. Val would want to give her sister son, but we could foster him at Winterfell and Gilly's boy as well. Some would never need to tell his lie. We'd find a place for Gilly too, and some would come visit here once a year or so. Mansi's son and Craster's would grow up brothers, as I once did with Rob. He wanted it, Jon knew then. He wanted it as much as he had ever wanted anything. I have always wanted it, he thought guiltily. May the gods forgive me. He thinks of it as a sin. He simply wants a family of his own, a family that every person would feel happy and included, but feels guilty about it. From John's perspective, he doesn't have any close family left, and he knows that he cannot make one of his own because of his status as a member of the Watch, but most importantly, because of his status as a bastard. This takes place in A Storm of Swords after Stannis proposes to legitimize him, something that John declined. But in the first book, he might have actually accepted. John is a fan favorite and is among my favorite characters as well. But John in his first chapters of The Wall comes out as very much a bully. And Noe was right in scolding him, because this scolding is what turned John into a character that we like and root for. Yes, he was a young teen and he had the right to be salty, but he was also very much entitled. And all these things people say about bastards had affected him and how he thinks of himself and the people around him. John comes out as a very classist in his conversation with Noe. Yes, he knows that he's not high on the hierarchy because of his status, but he is a classist. The Watch has need of every man it can get, Donald Noe said when they were alone. Even men like Toad. You won't win any honors killing him. John's anger flared. He said my mother was a whore, I heard him, what of it? Lord Eddard Stark was not a man to sleep with horse, John said icily. His honor 
did not prevent him from fathering a bastard, did it? John was cold with rage. Can I go? You go when I tell you to go. John stared silently at the smoke rising from the brazier until Noe took him under the chin. Thick fingers twisting his head around. Look at me when I'm talking to you, boy. The armorer had a chest like a keg of ale, and a gut too much. His nose was flat and broad, and he always seemed in need of a shave. The left sleeve of his black wool tunic was fastened at the shoulder with a silver pin in the shape of a longsword. Words won't make your mother a whore. She was what she was, and nothing Todd says can change that. You know, we have men on the wall whose mothers were whores. Not my mother, John thought stubbornly. He knew nothing of his mother. Edark Stark would not talk of her, yet he dreamed of her at times, so often that he could almost see her face. In his dreams, she was beautiful and highborn, and her eyes were kind. You think you had it hard being a High Lord's bastard? The armorer went on. That boy Jaren is a Septon's get, and Cotter Pike is the baseborn son of a tavern wench. Now he commands Eastwood by the sea. I don't care, John said. Yes, life, Noe said. A long life or a short one, it's up to you, Snow. The road you're walking, one of your brothers will slit your throat for you one night. They're not my brothers, John snapped. They hate me because I'm better than they are. No, they hate you because you act like you're better than they are. They look at you and see a castle-bred bastard who thinks he's a lordling. You're no lordling, remember that. You're a Snow, not a Stark. You're a bastard and a bully. A bully? John almost choked on the wall. The accusation was so unjust, it took his breath away. They were the ones who came after me, four of them. Four that you humiliated in the yard. Four who are probably afraid of you. I've watched you fight, it's not training with you. Put a good edge on your sword and they'll be dead meat. You know it, I know it, they know it. You leave them nothing, you shame them. Does that make you proud? John hesitated. He did feel proud when he won, why shouldn't he? But the armorer was taking that away too, making it sound as if he were doing something wrong. They're all older than me, he said defensively. Older and bigger and stronger, that's the truth. Alwogger, your master at arms, taught you how to fight bigger men at Winterfell, though. Who was he, some old knight? Seraldry Castle, John said wearily. There was a trap here, he felt it closing around him. Donald Noy leaned forward into John's face. Now think of this boy. None of these others have ever had a master at arms until Sir Alistair. Their fathers were farmers and wagonmen and poachers, smiths and miners, and also a trading alley. What they know of fighting, they learned between decks, in the alleys of Oldtown and Lannisport, in wayside brothels and taverns on the King's Road. They may have clacked a few sticks together before they came here, but I promise you, not one in twenty was ever rich enough to own a real sword. His look was grim. So how do you like the taste of your victories now, Lord Snow? Don't call me that, John said sharply, but the force had gone out of his anger. Suddenly he felt ashamed and guilty. I never... I didn't think... Best you start thinking. John began as a person who thought he had it hard because he was a highborn bastard. And yes, in comparison to Rob and other highborn people, he might have had it hard. But in general, John had a quite privileged life and this exact hypocrisy Noe pointed out. John was rich, John was educated, trained and had siblings who loved him. Ned and Benjen loved him. And with the exception of Kat, who was resentful of him, and from what I understand Sansa, who didn't really care for him and avoided interaction because Kat said so, his relationship with the rest of his siblings was good, and the same goes for the rest of the people at Winterfell. John, in this passage, gets a serious reality check and starts to understand a little bit that he's in a place where status does not matter, they all start as equals and are given the chance to prove their worth. He's not better because he happened to grow up rich and privileged, and sure enough, his mother being a highborn lady instead of a whore doesn't make him any more moral. 
John grew up in an environment that preaches these things and is a teen. Of course, he had these ideas engraved into his mind, but that doesn't change the fact that John starts as an entitled rich bastard, yes, but classist, frustrated with anger issues teenager. John has one of the best character developments, in my opinion, because his situation could have easily taken a turn similar to Tyrion's, but didn't. He learned and grew as a person, and this is why we like him. In A Storm of Swords, we see him as someone who still feels guilty and wants to have a family and a name, but he isn't in denial anymore, and he isn't an angry spoiled teen either. He has started to be at peace with his identity. It is very much obvious with how the scene from A Storm of Swords above ended. Godswolf, where have you been? I thought you died on me like Robin Egrid and all the rest. I had no sense of you, not since I climbed the wall, not even in dreams. The Darwolf had no answer, but he licked John's face with a tongue like a wet rasp, and his eyes caught their last light and shone like two great red suns. Red eyes, John realized, but not like Melisandre's. He had a weirwood's eyes, red eyes, red mouth, white fur, blood and bone like a harpy. He belongs to the old gods, this one, and he alone of all the Darwolves was white. Six pups they had found in the late summer snows, him and Rob, five that were grey and black and brown for the five Starks, and one white, as white as snow. He had his answer then. John doesn't feel angry that he is a bastard anymore, he sure as hell doesn't like it, but he doesn't feel angry and he isn't in denial. After his conversation with Noah in the first book, he has started to understand the people around him as well. Many came to the wall not because they were rapists and murderers, but because they were people who stole food for themselves and their families, or just didn't have better options. There are people who had prostitutes as mothers, and what of it, are they lesser people because they had to find a way to live in a society like this? After this conversation, John even made friends with the same people he looked down upon like Gren, and we see him have a similar evolution when he starts to interact with wildlings. His conversations with Tyrion and Noe are the ones that made John a much more interesting character than every other run-of-the-mill fantasy hero, and removing that makes John one of the masses and undermines his personal struggles and issues that are the things that are responsible for this character development in the first place. You're Ned Stark's bastard, aren't you? John felt a coldness pass right through him. He pressed his lips together and said nothing. Did I offend you? Lannister said, sorry. Darfs don't have to be tactful. Generations of carpeting fools in Motley have won me the right to dress badly and say any damn thing that comes into my mind, he grinned. You are the bastard, though. Lord Eddard Stark is my father, John admitted stiffly. Lannister studied his face. Yes, he said, I can see it. You have more of the North in you than your brothers. Half-brothers, John corrected. He was pleased by the Dark's comment, but he tried not to let it show. Let me give you some counsel, bastard, Lannister said. Never forget what you are, for surely the world will not. Make it your strength, then it can never be your weakness. Armor yourself in it, and it will never be used to hurt you. John was in no mood for anyone's counsel. What do you know about being a bastard? All Darks are bastards, in their father's eyes. You are your mother's true-born son of Lannister. Am I? The Darf replied sardonic. Do tell my lord father. My mother died birthing me, and he's never been sure. I don't even know who my mother was, John said. Some woman, no doubt, most of them are. He favored John with a rueful grin. Remember this, boy. All Darfs may be bastards, yet not all bastards need be Darfs. And with that, he turned and sundered back into the feast, whistling at Hume. The light from within threw his shadow clear across the yard, and for just a moment, Tyrion Lannister stood tall as a king. His progression as a character has to be making peace with this part of himself and understanding that being born a bastard does not make anyone, including himself, a lesser or immoral person. This isn't how it works. The same goes for lowborn and highborn, for people that were born south or north of the wall, etc. Shitty people are everywhere, but they are shitty because of the decisions they made, not because they were born out of wedlock or poor, 
Yes, some began with a worse hand, but not all became assholes. And this part is amplified by the existence of Ramsey Bolton. Ramsey was born as Snow, and is a vile human being. He's everything people think about bastards and then some. And making him a Bolton didn't change that. We have seen bastards like Ramsey and bastards like Gendry and John. Because being a bastard doesn't come with a card with character traits and statistics. If John comes face to face with Ramsey Bolton, it matters. Than the one who thinks himself better because he got legitimized and is now technically highborn is the morally corrupt person. John doesn't need the name Stark and should not need it anyway to be able to defend the people he grew up with and his homeland. John's character development as a person is making peace with a part of himself that he didn't even have a say in. It is accepting and understanding that being an illegitimate kid doesn't define what you are as a person. As far as the novels go, John is a fan favorite character. But it's hard to ignore the impact of the TV series adaptation. In Game of Thrones, John had quite a weird reception, if you ask me. People found him very boring and they complained that Kit Harrington was a bad actor. But at the same time, he was quite a fan favorite, most likely because he was hot. Personally, I don't buy into the idea that Kit was a bad actor. John's portrayal faced two main issues and bad acting wasn't one of them. <laughs> First of all, John is a character that doesn't always translate well onto the screen. He doesn't speak a lot, but in the books we have his POV, which allow us to know him and understand the way he thinks and feels. We don't necessarily need him to talk or display various facial expressions for us to sympathize with him. In the show, John often came across as bland and boring, but the issue wasn't Kit Harrington's acting. The problem lies in the fact that John is a character that doesn't work as effectively from a third person's POV. The second issue is the fact that John is a character D&D had zero understanding of. Sadly, a pattern in the series, and John wasn't the only one affected. One of the reasons D&D took on the job as showrunners for the series was their ability to uncover John's mother's identity, one of the earliest introduced mysteries in the novels. The topic is repeatedly brought to the reader's attention in the text, with various characters presenting different possibilities. John himself is oblivious to his mother's identity, unsure whether she was highborn or lowborn. Despite being acknowledged as Ned's son, fans have speculated on John's paternity as well. Given John's Stark-like appearance, the likelihood of neither parent being a Stark is close to zero. Thus, besides Ned, the fandom has frequently suggested either Eddard's older brother Brandon or younger sister Lyanna as one of John's parents. The most popular theory, and the one I personally subscribe to, is that John is the son of Lyanna and Rhaegar. This was also the route the TV series took. In The Winds of Winter, the finale episode of the sixth season, John is revealed to be the son of Lyanna Stark by Rhaegar Targaryen. The episode reveals the promise the exchange from Eddard Stark was to protect her son before she died at the Tower of Joy. This theory, especially after the TV series, is widely considered almost canon, and even before that, it was by far the most popular. However, Many people do not subscribe to it, and even if they do, they do not particularly like it. Some of the counter-arguments against this theory not directly connected to the text, as text-based counter-arguments often have answers, include that it is too obvious, it is a cliché, it diminishes Daenerys' importance, and it romanticizes Rhaegar and Lyanna. I will first address the last one, and I'm gonna say the same thing I said in my Dario video. The ages are creepy, and even if it is painful to admit, George often is weird with the couples in his writings. But for some reason, we either completely dismiss it or selectively comment on it. No joke. I've witnessed people shipping Sansa and Sandor without issue but expressing discomfort with Lyanna and Rhaegar. Parania. Many of the relationships in the series are indeed weird and uncomfortable. Not all of them are written explicitly to criticize these couplings or provide commentary on age gaps. Some are presented as legitimate couples. 
Subscribing to the theory doesn't mean someone supports the scenario in real life, and attempting to analyze the story while spinning and turning like lamps on a spit to prove that George didn't write them as a love story when he clearly did doesn't change much. The existence of John also doesn't change much. We are talking as if Liana wouldn't get married to Robert, who was merely three years younger than Rhaegar was, and like Bran didn't go to see a decapitation at seven years old. This argument can be applied universally, or not at all. Double standards don't work here. While we made it find it uncomfortable, and personally, I dislike it, attempting to deny it is futile. The story is a medieval-inspired fantasy with morals and laws vastly different from our own, written by a 70-plus-year-old guy. Now, the first three arguments are easily fixable, and I believe it is how it's gonna play out in the novels as well. Keep John a bastard. Plain and simple. In The Dragon and the Wolf, the finale of the seventh season, Rhaegar and Lyanna are revealed to have been married while Rhaegar's marriage to Princess Elia Martell had been annulled, making John a trueborn Targaryen and the heir to the Iron Throne through the most senior line. This plot point was truly absurd, and pardon my friends, completely fucks John up as a character, as well as the moral of the story. For me, this decision by the series was baffling. Even before season 7, it was evident that the people involved either didn't understand the books or didn't care. But this revelation solidified that the showrunners had read the story without truly understanding it and its characters. Making Rhaegar and Lyanna a married couple is not only absurd and stupid, but a big middle finger not only to characters like Elia and Daenerys, but to Jon, first and foremost. It indicates a lack of concern for the story narrated in these books, and a failure to grasp the moral of the tale, a flaw that became painfully clear in the following episodes. I always found it strange that people weren't annoyed with this decision. Yes, there were more eye-catching problems, but decisions of this nature always irked me a lot. The ending would have been different, obviously. The series wasn't even an adaptation, in my opinion. It was a parallel universe or something. However, not even maintaining the moral of a story you aim to adapt is offensive. Point blank period. John was not the only one affected. Daenerys and Bran also underwent character assassinations for completely different reasons. The truly bizarre thing with John is that they turned him into a magical promised messiah while at the same time, he didn't say or do much. John was considered boring because they molded him into an attractive, generic, barely there male fantasy lead because they never understood his character. The reason I had to mention all this is the fact that the series, from what I see at least, has affected the fandom quite a bit. In various forums, there are many posts and people who do not only subscribe to the real parentage of John, something that was an extremely popular theory even before and is something that, as I said, I also subscribe to. But they are pretty sad at the idea that John is actually a true Targaryen, something that before the TV show was not as popular. Additionally, people have warmed up to the idea of a promised prince slash messiah. They are not ripping their panties, yes, but they are down, something that was extremely unpopular before these revelations, since the absence of a Jesus was something people liked a lot about this series. There are many discussions that delve into what his parentage would mean politically, how the rest of Westeros would react, and so on. I was part of these forums before these reveals were made, and I still am. The discussions about whether Lyanna and Rhaegar were married have increased significantly. While those suggesting that the whole of Westeros would care about Jon's parents for some reason are also quite a lot. And the conversation takes some weird turns like this revelation would matter to anyone other than Jon. This part of the storyline is about a personal journey and not the overreaching craziness and bigger issues. It might be an unpopular take, but I don't see the information affecting many things outside Jon. Everything else, I believe, is pretty much irrelevant.
It might be quite underwhelming to some people, but I genuinely don't think that this revelation would be as crucial to the grand scheme of things as people believe. Let's explore why making Jonah Trubon child is such a problematic route, and I seriously doubt it would be the case in the novels. I will address John's mothers first, and fairly quickly, because I think the theories about John's parents have been discussed to the moon and back inside the fandom since the first book came out, and because the rest of the video is about theories, analysis, and predictions that matter if indeed John is half Targaryen. The first potential mother that is presented in the text is a Sarah Dane, with Ned being the father. This theory has multiple timeline issues, and even the George is bad at math cannot cover for them and breed a ton of whys as well. Why did Ned take the child from its mother and Dawn when we know bastards have a better status in life? Why keep her identity a secret from everyone, including John? Why do people at Starfall believe that John is Wyla's and not a Sarah's, even though they say they were in love? If John was conceived at Harrenhal, how is it he could pass as younger than Rob? And most importantly, why the fuck is Edric Dane born several years after Asara's death nicknamed Ned, after Edric Stark's nickname? If Ned had left Asara pregnant and taken her child away, causing her suicide, why would the Danes name their heir after him? Just why? This theory has major issues. Something else is going on here. Brandon and Asara have major timeline issues as well. The kid would have been two weeks away from watching an execution. There is no way he could pass as younger than Rob. According to George Martin, John was born at the end of the rebellion in late 283. So Asara, being John's mother, with whatever father she slept with at Harrenhal in 281 AC, is impossible, except if Asara Dane was an elephant. I would also like to add the theories about Ned and Asara. Having been married before Ned's marriage with Kat, meaning John is legal, are also bonkers with seriously underlying disgusting messages most of the time, something that I will touch on extensively in the next part of the video. I know that sometimes people say, oh, it's not okay to mock other people's theories, what if someone made fun of yours? First of all, I upload my theories knowing that some people would disagree with them and maybe even mock them, and I really do not take it at heart if people do not vibe with them. And secondly, when these theories are either so removed from the text or have a problematic message, I can and will comment on them. Back to John's mother, Wyla, theoretically, could be. But the main question remains, why was Ned so serious about keeping everything a secret? If the baseborn Wyla is John's mother, Ned would have no reason to keep the truth from both Kat and John. Same thing about the fisherman's daughter, a woman brought to our attention in Dance with Dragons, Davos 1. If Eddard was fathered John on the fisherman's daughter, he would have done so before his marriage. Why would the Eddard lie for no apparent reason when he claimed that he had fathered John after? his wedding. Why did he keep her identity a secret? Liana, being John's mother, doesn't have whys and explains many stuff around the story. The danger John would be in if it was discovered that his father was Rhaegar Targaryen was not insignificant, and Eddard barely knew his wife. It would not be odd that he had kept the secret from her. Keeping Gatling out of his secret meant keeping her from committing treason, and thus keeping her and their children safe, should his deceit ever be discovered. In addition, John could, due to his parentage, represent a danger to Catelyn's children. Even with Catelyn unaware of John's parentage, Eddard wonders what choice she would make if she had to choose between the lives of her own children or John. Following the incidents with Arya, Sansa, Joffrey and Nymeria near the Trident, Jory lies and claims that Nymeria ran off. Eddard later informs Arya that he knows it is a lie, after which Arya confesses how she and Jory chase Nymeria away to prevent her from being killed. Eddard states that even the lie was not without honor. So Ned would lie if it was for a noble cause, 
and protecting an innocent baby, as well as the honor and the promise to his deceased sister, is a noble cause. Ned, after another talk with Arya, heavily hints that Lyanna, like Brandon, made some choices that led to her death. He doesn't blame them, but he hints that if they were not as wild, they might have lived more. Needle wouldn't break, Arya said defiantly, but her voice betrayed her words. It has a name, does it? Her father sighed. Oh, Arya, you have a wildness in you, child. The wolf blood, my father used to call it. Lyanna had a touch of it, and my brother Brandon more than a touch. It brought them both to an early grave. Arya heard sadness in his voice. He did not often speak of his father or of the brother and sister who had died before she was born. Lyanna might have carried a sword if my lord father had allowed it. You remind me of her sometimes. You even look like her. Even Benzen says some stuff that could be hints he might know about John's real mother. I don't care about that, John said hotly. You might, if you knew what it meant, Benzen said. If you knew what an oath would cost you, you might be less eager to pay the price, son. John felt anger eyes inside him. I'm not your son. Benzen Stark stood up. More's the pity. He put a hand on John's shoulder. All in all, Liana being John's mother is the theory I subscribe to. It is the only one without plot holes, and the very few counter-arguments do have answers. And if indeed D&D took the job because they gave the correct answer to this question, it is technically canon. And that brings me to the most serious part of this video, why making him a legal Targaryen would be such a problematic route. John not being a Snow not only would be a character assassination, it would also be a plot point that kills and spits on the grave of the moral of his storyline. What exactly is the moral of the story if the bastard child, whom everyone judges and even dislikes, solely because he was born out of wedlock, like it is a given that baseborn children are inherently bad because it's their nature, does everything to save the world even though life is not easy, especially for someone of his status, is actually a hidden prince? That bastards are bad and John wasn't because he isn't a bastard but a prince? Kinda icky, I would say. It would undermine the idea that the prejudice John faced was wrong because people shouldn't be judged on something they cannot control, like if their parents were married, and imply that it was wrong because John was never a bastard. Every single one of the major characters, according to George Martin himself, is unique and subverts the expectations because they were born with a disadvantage or something happened to them that really turned their lives upside down like Bran. I have a large cast of viewpoint characters, but for most part, they all have something that makes them a bit of an outcast. Tyrion is a dwarf, Jon Snow is a bastard, Danny, who's beautiful, is a penniless exile who's been essentially sold off in marriage. Arya is born to a noble house, but she's kind of a wild child who doesn't conform with her proper gender roles. Brienne of Tarth even more, and because of that she suffers a lot of scorn and rejection, and she's not a proper woman in the terms of her society. Sam Tarly is far and bookish, when a lord is expected to be more warlike, strong, fierce and good with a sword. And Sam would rather read and dance and listen to music so he suffers a lot of rejection as well. I could go on and on. Almost all of the characters have problems in some way. Very few of my major point-view characters have all the answers or have an easy path through life. They all have burdens to bear. Some of them are women in a society that doesn't necessarily value women or give them a lot of power or independence. Tyrion, of course, is a dwarf, which has its own challenges. Dan is an exile, powerless, penniless, at the mercy of other people, and John is a bastard. These things save their characters, your experiences in life, your place in life, inevitably is going to change who you are. By removing the something, automatically the character development and progression is also removed. John's appeal is precisely the fact that he is a bastard and a hero. A person with moral biases and everything every other human being has, and he isn't inherently an honorable and treacherous because his parents were not married. John's personal journey is that he has to accept 
the fact that he is a bastard, not completely dismiss it because, well, after all, I was not. And this is a journey that he has started already. Making John a legitimate child is low-key apologizing and stuffing under the rug all the horrible things people say about illegitimate children. And John not being one is a terrible conclusion to his story. Simple as that. John is a bastard and a hero because they are not mutually exclusive conditions. He is a bastard by birth and his conscious choices make him a hero. And of course, let's not forget that this would be lazy, <laughs> cliche and lame narrative-wise. John just being the son of Rhaegar doesn't make the story a cliche. But making him a legal heir and a prince and a magical messiah, the savior of his world, because the two right people fucked, would turn the story into a cliche. The hidden prince, magical son, messiah is an extremely overdone trope. Yes, it can be done tastefully and the books can be good, obviously, but that doesn't change the fact that it is something we've seen in stories since the beginning of time. But doesn't fit with the plot and storytelling of this specific project. A Song of Us and Fire is unique and we like it because it subverts expectations. But not because we see plot twists everywhere and stuff happening out of nowhere. The fantasy tropes are subverted from the beginning by having Ned and Rob dying and the key players and main characters being Daenerys, Jon, Tyrion, Arya and Bran. By the existence of characters like Brienne and Asha, Sam and Davos. By having the characters not being flawless heroes but complex, flawed human beings and heroes nonetheless. The subversion will not be to make this unconventional heroes conventional because no one will expect that. This is plain bad writing and lazy. It is what happened in the TV series and if something like that happens in the books, even though I seriously doubt it, I would be the first person to come out with a video tearing a Song of Ice and Fire to shreds. <laughs> Promised Prince John or Evil John, Evil Bran, Evil Arya, Evil Danny are theories and plot points with a seriously disgusting message. Take traumatized kids, kids who couldn't control who their parents were and women who were abused to the point of wanting to unalive themselves People who want to make the world just and better and turn them into villains. Fantastic. If A Song of Ice and Fire didn't touch these themes, it wouldn't be as unforgivable. It would be tasteless, lazy, suspicious, dumb, and so on. But A Song of Ice and Fire does commentary on heavy societal issues, like misogyny, classism, slavery, and ableism. So these twists are deeply disturbing, and Ed's Lordy covered up with an it is a fiction, don't take it so seriously then do not put serious issues that affect people even today and do commentary on them to such a big an extent in your fictional project, bucko. You don't get to have both. All in all, I do have faith in George Martin. My own heroes are the dreamers. Those men and women who try to make the world a better place than when they found it, whether in small ways or great ones. Some succeeded, some failed. Most had mixed results. But it is the effort that's heroic, as I see it. Win or lose, I admire those who fight the good fight. So I hope he will not let us down. Something else that I find very annoying is the fact that legal child John really dismisses and undermines the role of his mother. You know, the person that literally pushed him out of Kirkuchi and died because of that. The person that John desperately longs for and dreams about. For some reason, John being the son of Lyanna and Rhaegar automatically means that John is a Targaryen bastard and not a Stark bastard because Rhaegar was the one with a cock. But apart from people thinking that having one makes you better, what other reason exists for his Targaryen blood suddenly being that important? John looks like a Stark. John grew up in Winterfell. He acts like a Northman, believes in the old gods of the Northmen, has the powers of the First Men, and has a freaking direwolf. He's connected to crows, cold, weirwoods, death, etc. And all of a sudden, it would matter that his dad happened to be a Targaryen? If anything, being the son of Lyanna makes him even more of a Northman and a Stark than being Ned's son. Lyanna held the wood blood, Lyanna grew up in Winterfell, and it was she who rode like a Northman. 
You ride like a Northman, milady, Harvin said when he drove them to a halt. Your aunt was the same, Lady Liana. But my father was master, of course, remember. John's father doesn't matter, like Blood Ravens didn't matter that much in the grand scheme of things. Brynden Rivers was one of the great bastards, son of Aegon IV, and even though he was involved in southern politics and had a dragon as personal sigil, none of this matters from the moment he went to the wall. Brynden is a Greenseer. He has the red eyes of the Greenseers. He is called Blood Raven and was and still is associated with ravens, crows, and the weirwoods because his mother was a Blackwood. And it's his Blackwood blood that matters in the end. Even as a surname, he kept the one from his mother's lands. Rivers, not waters, and not Blackfire. Like his half-brother, Aegor Rivers, who had his mother's dragon sigil incorporated into his personal coats of arms and hatred towards the Blackwoods. John, like Brynden, is associated with ravens and crows because he himself is a crow, and right now he even has Mormon's raven. John got a Valyrian steel sword from a person he considered a mentor, as Blood Raven did. John's wolf being an albino and connected to the trees is often something that people attribute to the possibility of ghosts being skin changed by Blood Raven, but I really do not think this is the case. I think the coloring of ghosts is there to hint at the fact that direwolves are not just normal animals and to draw the parallels between John and Brynden with visuals. And these parallels, I believe, are there for those reasons exactly, to give a hint about his real parents, yes, but also to point out that in the grand scheme of things, and with what is going on with the others and the Long Night, his Targaryen blood isn't the one that matters. His first man blood is, his mother's, the Stark blood. Nine-year-old and our lord and savior Arya Stark said nothing but facts to Jon in her first chapter in A Game of Thrones. The Lannisters are proud, Jon observed. You'd think the royal siege would be sufficient, but no. He made his mother's house equal in honor to the king's. The woman is important too, Arya protested. Even a little girl know what's up. By the way, write down below if you would be interested in a video about why Arya Stark, Brienne and Asa, all faves of mine, are not, not like other girls' girls. Because I have seen some weird things regarding their characters and I have opinions. Back to this quote from Arya and why it is so important. If RLJ is true, then John would have a royal sigil, but the woman is important too. In this case, more important since John's storyline is linked to the Starks. We do not even see him connected to his Targaryen side in dreams, visions or something. Even Danny saw him as a blue rose because Lyanna is the important one. He is the white wolf as white as snow. Never ask me about John, he said cold as ice. He's my blood, and this is all you need to know. John is a Stark, his Targaryen blood doesn't matter. John being a bastard of a Stark woman doesn't make him less of a Stark. Plus, I want to add here that John being special because he's ice and fire and both bloodlines matter equally is still a big nope. It is making John a messiah because the two right people happen to canoodle, and it leads to all the lazy and overdone tropes I talked about before. Danny's Blackwood blood does not matter, why would John be any different? Considering that because of the incest, Daenerys has the same amount of Blackwood blood as a person who has a Blackwood parent would have. I don't see why not all people's magical bloodlines wouldn't play a role at the same time. Just stating this here, because if suddenly all magical bloodlines that are involved in the last generations matter, Danny also has Targaryen, Dane, and Blackwood blood. Sounds kinda silly, I would say, I know, and that because it is. <laughs> Danny's Valyrian blood is the important one, like in John's case, his first man blood is the one that matters. Plus, John being held Targaryen at this point of the storyline is completely irrelevant. There is no way Rhaegar and Lyanna were married under a weirwood or whatever. Polygamy is not allowed, and Rhaegar wouldn't annul his marriage when he had legal heirs, and a son that he considered to be the prince that was promised with Elia. Lyanna, at that point, 
didn't have a kid. Even if she was pregnant, they wouldn't know the gender or even whether the kid would survive. Rhaegar was fixated on the word prince, and we know he already thought of Aegon as the promised prince and his heir, so... Second of all, who the hell would believe them, or even care at this point? The ruling family has changed, and Jon is not a Baratheon. Even if he wanted the throne and there are people who could vouch for him, which again, many big ifs here, they wouldn't just give it to him, and there is no way the novels, unlike the TV show, will end with the battle for the Iron Throne and not with the larger-than-life issue that was introduced in the first page of this book series. And most importantly, <laughs> John is dead. <laughs> John died. Ο Γενάκης πέθανε, πέθανε στα αλήθεια. I know that people are still saying, no, he isn't dead, because George Martin said, oh, you think he died? But his body is dead. In the whole A Dance with Dragons, starting from the prologue, we are told over and over again that when skin changers die, their spirits enter their animals and begin a second life. And it was obviously a setup for John's storyline. So yeah, John's spirit and soul are not lost or dead. John went into ghost. But his body is dead. If indeed John get resurrected, then he will be in a cold hats type of situation, most likely. Returning completely normal is very, very, very unlikely. So again, does his Targaryen blood really matter? John's parentage reveal is about him, about his personal journey and growth, about coming to terms with his struggles and internalized hate. It is about understanding that he is a Stark. He doesn't need to feel like an outsider. He is not an outsider. He is as much of a Stark as Rob, Arya, Sansa, Bran and Rickon, even if he is a bastard and a Stark from his mother's side. None of this make him any less of a Stark. And this is why there is one way of John becoming legitimized that I find possible and really heartwarming, yes, I am a sap, John having been legitimized as a Stark, not a Targaryen, by Rob in his will. That would matter, because John is a Stark. John has always been a part of the Stark family. He grew up in Winterfell and loves this place and its people. He has a right to fight the Boltons and claim back what was taken from his family. Other than this, I don't see John being involved in any other political turmoil that his real identity would cause. And pushing a plotline like this on him would be kinda cheap and thrown into the story only for the drama, like we do not have enough already, because it is way too late. We are finally very close to the actual threat, the long night, and not people fighting over an uncomfortable chair that can cut your butt cheeks. John suddenly becoming involved in Southern politics after his death would be a choice, and not a good one. And these are pretty much my thoughts on John and his parents. I will be seriously disappointed if John's storyline gets even remotely close to that of the show. John's appeal as a character is precisely the fact that you see a teenager that gets angry and trembles, even at the sound of the word bastard, coming to terms with this part of himself and not letting it define him. And it would be such a letdown if the conclusion of his character was that John is not a snow after all. It would be a slight to John, to Lyanna, to Ned, who lied and did everything to protect a baby that most other lords wouldn't have cared about, to other characters like Elia Martell and Daenerys, and most importantly, to the moral of his story as a whole. George, I have faith in you. Please don't let me down. <laughs> Thanks a lot for watching. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you did, do not forget to leave a like and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And until the next upload, bye!